You're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings. Great deal going on. Put in five bucks on these NBA games. Doesn't even matter who wins. You get 150 in free plays if you're a new customer. All right. Now, joined by very special guest, Aaron Torres of Fox Sports Radio, a guy that I think uh, I can speak for almost all Arizona fans when you say that Arizona fans appreciate you, Aaron, because of how you fairly covered the Wildcat basketball program over the years, besides all of your in-depth knowledge across college basketball. Well, I appreciate that, man. I, you know, I honestly have always felt the love from Arizona fans. And, you know, I, I, you know, I've talked to you about this. I've talked to other media members. I've talked to Sean Miller on my podcast about this. I haven't had a chance, obviously, uh, nothing to talk with Tommy Lloyd about yet, but no, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I never intended to be the the guy in the media that stood up for Arizona that isn't an Arizona guy, but I always thought a lot of the coverage was unfair, uh, especially relative to say, I don't know, our reigning national champions as we speak, not naming any names in specific. Um, but you know, listen, we can get into, you know, we can get into that if you want, we can get into whatever, but no, I, I never intended to be this guy, but I do appreciate the sport of Arizona fans came out to Tucson this year for the first time. And I uh, really felt some love there, but also just social media, my writing, my podcast, et cetera. I can't thank Arizona fans enough. Like I said, it was never the intention just doing my job the way that I think it should be done. Okay, Aaron. Yeah, we're certainly going to get into that. I wanted to get your take, though, when obviously Sean Sean Miller, um, Arizona part ways at uh, this time a little bit more than a year ago. Now, when Tommy Lloyd was hired, what were your first impressions? What did you think of the hire? Well, you know, I, I didn't have any super strong opinions on it. No. I You know, I, I do... I will say, like, one, I certainly didn't think he was going to be this good. You know, I, I think that really when you started to look at the timing of everything, you know, Sean unfortunately let go. Obviously, one year left on his contract uh, two or three days after Gonzaga season ends. And, you know, in, in, in all of our heads, we're wondering why did Arizona wait until a week or two right. uh, after the season ended? And you start to realize that Tommy Lloyd was probably the guy that the school targeted. Um, you know, I thought he'd be fine. Uh, I understood why the school felt like they needed a clean break from Sean Miller at the very least that they could not extend the contract of uh, of him based on, you know, everything that was still ongoing at the time and is still frankly ongoing now. Uh, but, you know, I didn't know who would be better. I didn't know who would be the right fit. I certainly did not see Tommy Lloyd doing what he did this year. Part of it, obviously, the credit goes to some of the players that he inherited from the previous staff. But I don't think there's any doubt that Tommy Lloyd maximized that first roster that he had this year in 2021-2022. And I'm really excited to see how he builds this program going forward, including some of the guys, obviously, on last year's team that will be returning next year. It really was kind of a perfect storm when you think about it, because you don't really find the one thing, no matter what you think of Sean Miller, and I've said this from day one, the man could recruit. The man had an eye for talent. You look up and down this roster. Ben Matherin wasn't a McDonald's All-American. Christian Coloco was a top 150 player. Um, you can just, Azulis Tabellis, obviously from overseas, but still probably more of a top 60 type kid. He had an, a knack Dale for and Terry. Dale, Dale and Terry was like top 50, top 40. He, I don't remember him being like top 10, can't miss. Right, exactly. And so he always had, and this is after all the recruiting uh, stuff came down, obviously, and he still was able to go out and find it. I think he'll be I think he'll be able to recruit very well at Xavier as well. You already see him uh, get the UTEP kid who averaged 20 points a game. I think he'll be fine. You know, but Tommy Lloyd comes in, a little bit of a different approach, more up-tempo. And it's, you know, I think that these guys kind of got the best of both worlds when you think about it. You got a coach initially that believed in you, that really wanted to put you out there. Then you got another coach in there that kind of came in and, for lack of a better term, unleashed you 
I mean, you kind of got the best of both worlds right there. Yeah, it's funny. It, it felt like, you know, the one time I did get in some Arizona fans' crosshairs was when I tried to give Sean Miller a little bit of credit for this year's current success. And I think a lot of people felt like I was taking a shot at Tommy Lloyd, uh, and I wasn't at all. And, and, and right. really, when I look at this 2021-2022 team, and, you know, now it's officially Coach Lloyd's program, and obviously uh, we're still going to have a few holdovers from the previous regime. But, you know, what I said all season was, was I thought two things were definitively true. Uh, Sean Miller deserved credit for leaving the cupboard bare for Tommy Lloyd. But I thought, as you just said, uh, Mike, that Tommy Lloyd got the absolute most out of that particular group right. as you possibly could have. And, you know, I don't think – this is no disrespect to to Coach Miller and his his staff. I don't think we're talking about Christian Coloco as a potential first-round pick if, right. if Sean Miller's still there. Uh, I don't think we're talking about Dalen Terry as a potential player that could, depending on what happens at the NBA Draft Combine next week, depending on when this, this podcast posts or whatever, uh, could play his way into the first round. I don't think we're talking about Ben Matherin as one of the dominant players in college basketball. And so, you know, I said that once or twice throughout the year, and I think people took it to mean that I felt like Tommy Lloyd didn't deserve credit and he inherited a full cover. No, 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 no. He got the absolute most out of this group. They were, I would argue, the most fun team in college basketball to watch from start to finish this season. And as I've said a few times now, I'm really excited to see as he continues to put his stamp on this program. I know he's signed an international kid or two this offseason. Um, and I think he's going to find that blend between elite American players, elite international players. His style has been established. And I think it's going to be a really fun program to watch going forward. I really do. The one thing that kind of stuck out when, once they got into the tournament, Arizona, and especially besides Azulis Tabellis didn't play well. We all know that. But against Houston, to a certain extent against TCU, the one thing that I think you'd like to see, you got, I think you got to get a little bit quicker in that backcourt position right there. Um, Houston seemed, again, Kirk Kreese, Appella Larson, certain, certainly good players. But against Houston, there was a lack of a dynamic factor that I think the Houston guards were able to capitalize to a certain extent. I don't disagree, and I think, you know, it's interesting going back to that game. The one guy, again, on the court that seemed mostly comfortable in that game was Dalen Terry, and, right. you know, NBA size, athleticism, and Ben Matherin had a bad game too, but Tabellis at times looked overmatched a lot of the time, frankly. I, you know, I don't mean to pick on an 18-year-old kid, but I think it's the truth. Uh, mm -hmm. Same with Kirk Carissa. So, yeah, it's it's an ever-evolving thing. Um, you know, and listen, I think even if you you talk to the staff that recruited Kirk Carissa, you talk to the staff that recruited Azulis Tabellis, I don't think anybody saw them as one and done. You know, they're going to come in and leave for the NBA right away. Now, Tabellis had a great freshman year. I mean, I don't remember all the details now, but I, I seem to remember a USC game where he had like 31 and 20, eight, yeah. 31 and 18, right? Didn't yeah. he have 18 boards or something like that? 31 and eight, no, against uh, Mobley Brothers, yeah. He had another 18 board game, not in that that's, game, but yeah. That's yeah. what I'm thinking of, yeah. So, so anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, I, I think that, yeah, they have a, a, some flaws. Uh, the, the the returning players, but that's the reason that they're coming on their third year of college. And that's not a knock. You need those veterans to win at the highest level of college basketball. I mean, look at this year with Kansas, with Villanova, with Villanova in previous years, Virginia, on and on and on and on and on. So, no, I mean, I, I definitely thought, you know, Houston exposed them, but Houston exposed a lot of teams right. over the course of the the regular season, the tournament. Never forget they beat the Big Ten regular season champs uh, in the, the round of 32 they dominated a UAB team that was considered to be one of the better mid-majors all season long. So, you know, Houston makes a lot of people look bad. And, you know, that, that's the gift and the curse of the NCAA tournament. We love it. We, you know, you know, Mike, you and I are fortunate enough to do this for a living where we get to talk about this stuff all day, every day. Uh, but that's the gift and the curse of, of the tournament. As fun as it is, 
uh, you know, the wrong matchup on the wrong night, the wrong opponent, uh, it could end ugly. And unfortunately for, for Arizona, that was the case, but that's going to be the case for 67 teams by the time that tournament's done. If, if I were to throw a starting lineup at you next year where you've got Kirk Creesa, Pella Larson, Dalen Terry, Azulis Tabellis, and either Umar Ballo or maybe a mystery uh, international player who has NBA potential, what would your initial thoughts be? Does that feel like a top 15 team, a top 25 team? Just kind of initial thoughts on that starting lineup right there. Well, I'll tell you, you know, obviously like everybody in the media, I have a way too early top 25 out that I've adjusted and mm -hmm. readjusted throughout the spring. I have in my top 25, and I have no insight into this, but I have Dale and Terry coming back. And, you know, I have Arizona on the fringes of a top 10 team because, Great. you know, you're talking about four of the, the top six players from a team that was a number one seed this year. And, right. you know, again, I, I mean, I think you can pick apart, you know, Kirk Kreese or Sulis Tubelis um, in a one-game situation against a, a Houston team that made the Elite Eight that finished whatever they did, 31-4 and four or 31-5 and five or whatever. But listen – you know, there's not many Houston's that are going to be on the schedule. I know we just got an, a game against Indiana, which could be a pretty good team. There's going to be some good out-of-conference opponents, but there's also a lot of Oregon states and Washington states, and I hate to say it, there's a lot of Arizona states on that schedule too right. where, you know, you can build up a resume that puts you in pretty good position to, again, get a pretty high seed. So, you know, if Dale – first of all, I'm a big Dale, Dale and Terry guy, and part of it was I just really enjoyed watching Arizona, so I probably watched them more than most. I'm based on the West Coast, so right. staying up for, for a, a 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern tip isn't a, isn't a big deal to me. Um, but I, I, I really like the way that Dale and Terry came on late. I really think he has breakout potential, and so that's part of why I would have them in the top ten. But, I mean, you know, I think it's easy to look at sometimes just the, those big headline names that you lose. But we're not talking about, you know, Wisconsin with Johnny Davis where he did everything. We're talking about two very, right. very good players in Ben Matherin and uh, Christian Coloco who could both be first-round picks. But we're also talking about potentially in this scenario that you laid out, Mike, four of the top six players from a number one seed back. To me, again, that feels like fringe top 10. And if you're talking fringe top 10, I mean, just think about it logically. That's a team that's going to compete for a Pac-12 title. That's a team that's going to compete for a 2-3 seed somewhere in that bracket or somewhere in that area of the bracket. So I'm not saying they're going to completely fall off the grid, but I'm not saying they're going to be top two, top three in the country like they were last year either. And I think with Dale and Terry, that's a fair assessment of these Wildcats. I think what's exciting, too, and I get in trouble with Arizona fans when I say that I root for UCLA outside of when they play Arizona because there's the two schools, and it's kind of like USC football. It's very easy for the national media to be able to ignore the Pac-12 if Arizona or UCLA isn't good. I like Dana Altman. I think he's done a great job. But when Oregon's running the conference, it's not the same as when Arizona and when UCLA are. So when you've got both of those two teams, and I think they're on pretty steady footing, I thought I didn't know what to make of the Mick Cronin hire, but so far he's recruited well. His guys, have become, it's a pretty tough team. It seems that they're on stable footing. Arizona, UCLA look to be two teams that you'd be buying stock in in the future, and that's a good thing for the conference. And if it's a good thing for the conference, Aaron, it's a good thing for Arizona. See, I, you know, as having no skin in the game for either side, I agree with you. And I agree on the UCL, the USC football analogy, you know, from the football perspective, I've long argued the Pac-12 isn't the worst power five conference. They just don't have a Clemson or an Oklahoma like in the big 12, like in the ACC. Now right. I'm still talking about football to, you know, 
The ACC is really bad once you get past Clemson in most years, but because Clemson can compete at the highest levels, you don't really talk about the ACC the way that you do in the Pac-12. The Pac and I think it's the same thing with basketball. I mean, I, I even remember two, three years ago, I, I don't remember which year exactly, but, you know, Arizona was kind of in the middle of that rebuild towards the end of the Sean Miller era. UCLA was going through their thing. And, you know, everybody said how bad the conference was. And I said, well, you know, like you said, like you said, Mike, USC is pretty good and uh, Oregon's really good, but it doesn't feel the same. And so I'm with you. And I, I just think it gets more eyeballs on on the conference in the sport. I mean, think about how fun, maybe not by, by the end for Arizona fans, but that Tuesday night makeup game at Pauley Pavilion, yes. completely packed house, national TV. I could be mistaken, but I think Jay Billis and whoever was in that mm -hmm. night um, and it was a showcase game and it was a little bit of a later tip off, but it was a showcase game for the league, you know, rather than cramming in, you know, all six pack 12 games on a Thursday, like the league tends to do. Um, I, I, I you know, I, I really liked that. And I really liked, you know, that moment in time for the league. So anyway, I'm, I'm getting long winded here. You know, you're the, the, the voice of Arizona. I'll defer to you on how many Arizona fans actually prefer when UCLA is good, but I tend to agree with you. I just think it's good for the league again, not just that game, but the game that I was at in Tucson, the PAC 12 championship game. And I, you know, I, I believe it all to be true. I've always thought too that, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say the, I was just going to say the rising tide raises all boats. And, you know, even when an Oregon state or a Washington state can say, Hey, you know, Arizona overlooked you go into Tucson and beat their butts, you know, once a year and, and, and play them twice a year. I think that helps the league as a whole as well. All right, people, real quick. Let me tell you about the DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX. Here's the deal. You put in five bucks on the NBA games, you get $150 in free plays. New customers only. Eligibility restrictions apply. 21 and up, Arizona only. I picked the Miami Heat before the season to win the NBA title. Whoa. Yeah. Hot what do you know? You're well, one of those. Sorry. I, I'm just we'll, – we'll see. I put in 25 bucks. Um, I'm uh, – it seemed like a pretty good odds at, uh, you know, plus 1400 so far so well, but we'll see what happens right there. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, uh DraftKings Sportsbook app code word PHNX. Where are we going to get to Aaron? I just was going to say that was a hell of a play. And by the way, as somebody who works with DraftKings as well, uh, they just updated the college basketball odds as well. I don't mean to ruin the moment here. I don't know if you're going to have to edit this out after, but no, you know, they, ju they just edited the college basketball odds. I'm just impressed that you like the heat. Cause I don't think anybody I, I haven't heard of anybody seeing uh seeing uh you know them as a potential title contender except for you Mike except for you. I threw that out on Twitter uh back in uh back in late uh 2021 just wanted to get it out there. I figured that I would be beaten up, but you know what? So far so good. My big thing is I think Jimmy Butler is very underrated in the grand scheme of things. I think people look at him as a complimentary piece when in actuality he's a guy that I've always felt can take over games when he needs to. So, and you know, the heat structure I've always felt was good. So again, I thought it was a good value pick right there. So, Very good. All right. Now let me talk to you a little bit about the conference. Larry Scott's out. George Kleakoff is in. Um, I got to talk with George Kleakoff very briefly. He wouldn't even remember me. It was about a three or four minute conversation. But as somebody, Aaron, that is connected nationally like yourself, what do you think about the hire? The only thing that I came away from thinking is this guy gets it in a at a national level that Larry Scott didn't. One, I agree with that assessment. Two, as dumb as this sounds, and it probably means nothing in the grand scheme, when Greg Sankey went last week, the SEC commissioner, to meet with people in Washington about a federal you know, NIL bill, 
I thought it was important that the Pac-12 commissioner was alongside him. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really did because I, I think we all understand that the commissioner of the SEC is probably, frankly, the most powerful person in college sports right now, even if that should be the president of the NCAA. It really is the commissioner of the, of the right. SEC. But to be to have by his side the commissioner of the Pac-12, I think it means that in an ever-evolving landscape in college sports, especially, by the way, when a lot of these other conferences have new leadership as well, the ACC, uh, the Big Ten with Kevin Warren, that this guy, you know, is, I don't know what the right word is, you know, but but respected maybe, you know, um, and, and I, I don't know what the right word is, but it, it said to me that he's in the right meetings with the right people at the right times. And, um, you know, there's going to be certain limitations that the Pac-12, not limitations, but, you know, things that the Pac-12 deals with that other conferences just don't, the the distances, the geography, all that stuff. I don't think that's an excuse. I think that's a reality. Obviously, the Pac-12 network has not been the boon that Larry Scott sold us on, you know, a decade <laughs> right. plus ago. But, you know, I, I also think, you know, as I said, as I said a minute ago, really, Uh, I've never thought of the Pac-12 as bad as a lot of other people have. I mean, you go to the football side, Utah's been a really solid program forever. Oregon's a really solid program. The thing that's been lacking is USC. By the way, you know, I know Arizona's on the way up with Jed Fish, et cetera, recruiting at a level that they haven't in a long time. I just bring it up to say, you know, I think that the Pac-12, for uh, we only talk about the negatives with the Pac-12, and I'm not saying that the resources and the financial support and the football stadiums look like they do in the SEC. But I'm saying that I think that there's some benefits that the league doesn't maybe necessarily get credit for as well. So I'm with you. I've never had a chance to have one-on-one time with them or get to know them well. Everything that I've seen is from a distance. I'm hoping to get to Pac-12 football media days this year to maybe get a little bit of, you know, FaceTime one-on-one scrum group whatever you want to call it time with him just to kind of get a better feel for him but but I'm optimistic you know part of it is I, I don't think it can be much worse than Larry Scott but also you know if you are going to replace him this guy seems like as you said the way you said it he gets it and we'll just see what he can do to really help the profile of the conference going forward all right Aaron let's talk about now where you really kind of stole the heart of Arizona fans and not because you were being quote unquote pro Arizona because you were calling things the way they were everybody knows about the NC or the FBI investigation into Arizona about Book Richardson obviously not good stuff but what drove I think people here in Tucson crazy were two different things first of all the DeAndre Ayton report by ESPN that was they moved dates around, but they never walked it back. There was nothing nothing that ever came of it, but it was reported as fact. And then the Kansas situation, where Kansas wins the national championship, and there's a lot more things that are directly linking Bill Self, text messages, et cetera, to improprieties than Sean Miller. But if you watch ESPN, it's very much of a, well, let's take a wait-and-see approach. You know, We don't know everything. But with Sean Miller, it's like, well, let's just tar and feather him right now. That's where I think it's not so much that book. everybody knows Book Richardson was doing things he shouldn't have, but I think it was the lack of consistency on the majority of the national coverage that really irked Arizona fans. Yeah, you know, and, and I don't, you know, be careful what I say. Um, I think that's unfortunately a lot of the media coverage in general is it's biased, it's one sided, there's an agenda. Um, and you could probably guess what I'm talking about when I when I say stuff like that. But to keep it to Arizona, to keep it to college basketball, uh, you know, I think there's no doubt. And and listen, I you know, to me, um, I think it really started for me the night of and the 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 follow up subsequent of that 
DeAndre Ayton report. And, right. you know, it, it's cliche, but I remember where I was when I saw that, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was they broke into a game or there was an ESPN ticker or it came across social media. I don't remember all the details. But listen, there there are some some social media posts that I'm not proud of. There's some tweets that I'm not proud of talking about the program in that moment. Um, and, you know, and, and they're still up. I haven't deleted them, as, uh, you know, because I, I don't want to try to pretend as though I didn't say the same things that a lot of people in the media right. did that night in that moment. But then, you know, you kind of just put on a couple things. You know, you put on one, you know, if you're in the media, you're supposed to be covering things unbiasedly. Now, I know, you know, whatever. But two, you know, there's also just common sense fact stuff that got lost in the shuffle. And, and you started to see, you know, you started to peel back the layers on the DeAndre and thing and stuff just didn't make sense. Right. So, yeah. so no, I don't, I, I don't even remember everything at this point, nor do probably a lot of Arizona fans, but you know, why would DeAndre and like, like why would Christian Dawkins, who's based out of Michigan, have this incredible relationship with DeAndre Ayton? Why would, um, you know, I don't even remember all the details, but there was just four or five things that they just, it didn't make sense common sense wise. And so, you know, you just started to peel back the layers and then, you know, Sean had his very defiant, you know, I did not do what I'm accused of press conference. Um, and then from there, you know, you even had Christian Dawkins at some point during one of the trials say, yeah. you know, I'm guilty of a lot of things, but that conversation with Sean, Sean Miller never happened. So, that was the part that, you know, still to this day, it amazes me. And, you know, not so much anymore because I think everyone's just kind of over it. But right. even six months ago, a year ago, you know, whatever, even I'll, I'll give you an example. When the coaching carousel started up and you start thinking about names and, you know, schools that might be interested in someone like Sean Miller with his track record. Oh, he's a cheater. Always oh, this, always that. And it's like I, I still think besides Arizona fans, 90 percent of the public, 99, 100 I, I don't know what it is think that that report is true and right. like that is very concerning and i feel you know i now i don't necessarily feel bad because sean's been able to bounce back and his career is back on track and he's at a place that he wants to be but it, it, you know there was a time where we thought sean miller might never coach again over a report that simply isn't true um and then the kansas stuff i've been saying that as well for years is like you just look at the reports and i don't have all the text messages in front of me but you know when 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 bill self is is texting a guy I got to get me some dudes or you got to get me some dudes. And the guy's like, I've never let you down. Um, You know, you can, you know, it's a lot more. Yeah. It's a lot more, um, you know, direct link than anything that happened at Arizona. So, you know, I I don't want to continue to relitigate the past. I know a lot of Arizona fans have moved on, but you know, I, I, again, like I told you to lead the show, Mike, I, I never intended to be this guy or get on this soapbox or defend this person. It was just, I just at first was just reporting and presenting the facts. And then after that, when I saw nobody else would or nobody wanted to deal with the social media mob or nobody wanted to look at the facts or nobody wanted to admit the truth, um, you know, I just kept doing it. And by the way, one last thing before we get on it, you know, these people that continue in the media that just continue to acknowledge facts. I mean, you know, I, I don't generally call out other media members. I just, you know, if it's an opinion-based thing, everyone's entitled to their opinion. But when Seth Greenberg goes to college game day and he says there's more facts to come out, 
Where are the what what facts? What the else? NCAA investigation's done. The right. FBI trials are done. Right. What other facts are there to come out? And then he tries to do this thing of, um, oh, you know, if you can boo me if you want, but you know, if you want to look bad, Arizona fans, then you go ahead and look bad. It's like, dude, shut. Like, I, again, I'm not trying to criticize other people in the media. The only I, I've 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 had this stance forever. I don't criticize other people for their opinions. I criticize people when they're being disingenuous. And whether Seth Greenberg doesn't know the facts, doesn't understand the facts. By the way, there's a lot of very highly paid producers and fat, uh, stat people yes, and yes, researchers yes. that that should be getting in Seth Greenberg's ear or with him in a pre-production meeting. Say, hey, this is the latest. These are the facts according to the government of the United States and according to the NCAA. Somebody's got to get in his ear. And so it was just, um, you know, that's an example of just just embarrassing behavior from other people in the media. And, you know, if, if you want to believe in your heart of hearts that maybe Sean Miller did something he didn't get caught for, that's your prerogative. But to come out and say that we don't have all the facts when every investigation is in its, you know, is, is, is done when the notice of allegations has been delivered, like it's just it's it's. I mean, obviously you can hear it in my voice. It's frustrating. It's annoying. Like, I, you know, it's just we have a responsibility in the media to cover things fairly. And there's just so many people in the media that haven't done it. You know what really uh, stuck out to me, too, is when Sean Miller was not given a show cause by the NCAA. At that point, now, coaches are given show causes all the time. I and mean, we see it all the time. Scott the Frost got one like a week ago. I Nobody just, cared. I was just going to say. Exactly. So the fact that the NCAA didn't even give Sean Miller that – leads you to believe that there's not really much that they could really tie him to right there. And again, like you said, it's reporting on facts. Um, one thing, though, that I wanted to really be uh, before we sign off here. Well, first, DraftKings Sportsbook app. As you know, Aaron's a smart guy. Aaron's associated with DraftKings as well. Um, this is the time to get on. NBA playoffs. You got baseball as well. Great deal going on. You put in five bucks, get $150 in free play plays if you're a new customer. You got the Bucks Celtics tonight. Who you got, Aaron? What is this game six? Game, game five. Uh, game game five. Two two right now. Game five. You know, I'm going to take Boston. I love Milwaukee. I think Giannis is the best player on the planet. Mm -hmm. But uh, Milwaukee easily could have lost game three at home. They did blow a big lead in game four. Boston's going home. I don't know what the spread is, but give me the Celtics. So, yeah, I agree with you. All right. Jim Calhoun, you put this out there, and it was – because I've argued this point with people for the longest time. You put this out on Twitter that, you know, why aren't more people talking about Jim Calhoun in the breaths that they talk about either a Dean Smith or a Roy Williams? And Arizona fans, we're going to circle back to loot here in a second. Sure. So, but you're exactly right, my man. He took over a program in UConn that I know in the 50s they made a few tournaments. A guy tweeted at me. I'm talking about real <laughs> – Real success. And I love, too, when he says, well, were you alive in the 50s? Well, I was not. So, um, But you look at what Jim Calhoun did in a, a region where you've got Syracuse at the top of their game, Georgetown at the top of their game. You go up and down the ACC, the Big East, obviously. The man wins three national championships. You got a fourth with Kevin Ollie, who, you know, still gets credit, but I don't know that anybody's looking at Kevin Ollie and saying Kevin Ollie is the reason they won that championship. The man built an absolute dynasty there and gets overlooked in the grand scheme of things when you can make the case, and I think you made it quite well, that you know outside of Krzyzewski and Wooden, this guy's as good as there's been. Yeah, so this all – two things. You know, One, I am a UConn alum, um, so that's part of it. Mm -hmm. And two – 
I grew up in Connecticut right at the height of kind of Jim Calhoun's, you know, as the program was ascending. And so, you know, I, I, I even said on my podcast, uh, you know, throughout the day today that, you know, really, I, I think you, I, I could argue, and I'm the only one that would argue it because it's me arguing for myself, but, you know, the reason I'm not only this huge college basketball guy in my career, but the, the passion for sports really, if it tied to one person, it's probably Jim Calhoun. And, you know, growing up in Connecticut, uh, there was an NHL team there at the time, but you know, it was, it was UConn basketball. And, 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 you know, I was a little young for some of those great teams early, but you know, the first season I, I remember much of was 94, 95, which was ironically Kevin Ollie's last year. UConn yeah. makes an elite eight 95, 96. They're a number one seed, make the sweet 16. 98-99, they make an Elite Eight. They lose to North Carolina in North Carolina to go to a Final Four. 99, they win a national championship. And so I just bring it up because, you know, you talk about, you know, my my passion for college basketball. It directly stems from Jim Calhoun. And on Tuesday of this week was his 80th birthday. And so, you know, anytime there's a reason for me to talk about Jim Calhoun, I'm going to. Uh, and, and I've made the same argument that you have, Mike, for years. And, and maybe there's some some synergy with Lute Olson probably not getting the credit that he deserves for the program that he built at the University of Arizona. But, you know, you look at Calhoun, three national championships, four Final Fours, uh, at least – I think four other elite eights, uh, right. you know, and, and really as he was building the program, you know, was kind of that team that always got screwed with geography. As I said, 98, you lose an elite eight to North Carolina in the state of North Carolina, 95, you lose to UCLA in the state of California. Uh, 90 was a buzzer beater to Christian Leitner and Duke to go to a final four. Um, you know, what he did was just incredible. And, and, and he did it at a time where I looked it up today or yesterday when he entered the big East, there were five future Hall of Famers that were coaching at that point. Uh, Jim Beheim, uh, Luke Carnesecca, mm -hmm. John Thompson, Jim Beheim, and Rick Pitino. Jim Beheim, Carnesecca, Roy Massimino, John Thompson, and Rick Pitino was in his first year. PJ right. Carlissimo goes to a Final Four a few years later. So, I mean, you're talking about a nine-team league with five Hall of Famers that he walked into plus a sixth guy who went to a Final Four. You know, I just I, – I, I've never thought he got the credit that he deserved. I mean, I you know, like you said, when whenever the, the casual conversation of greatest college basketball coaches comes up, Dean Smith's name is always mentioned. This isn't a tear-down Dean Smith thing. Um, you know, Coach K obviously get, is getting the praise that he deserves in retirement. But, you know, UConn beat him head-to-head -head in a Final Four twice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I just bring it up. Roy Williams, same number of national titles, at, at, did it at North Carolina, a place that the program had been established for 50 years. Calhoun, you know, and, and for those of you, by the way, who haven't been to stores, uh, it's, it's in the middle of nowhere. There's a reason that Lou Holtz once said stores – they call it stores because they just added a second one recently. I mean, <laughs> the place is in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, a, a, an absolute national power that has been maintained, as you said, a second coach wins a national championship. And, and I believe Dan Hurley has the UConn program trending in the right direction uh, for future success. I just never thought Jim Calhoun got the credit he deserves. So I, I'm glad that others see it that way, not just UConn homers like me. Yeah, and again, we're we're around the same age because ninety three, ninety four, or ninety two, ninety three was when I really started with Arizona, and you had Damon Stoudemire, Chris Mills, guys like that, and then it just, it, and I don't know about you, but when you're a young fan and you're winning, you don't realize that this isn't normal because we went Arizona went from one point guard and Damon Stoudemire, then to Mike Bibby, then to Jason Terry and Jason Gardner, on and on. 
And I look back at the time and I'm like, that's not normal stuff right there. And I know that you've got to be looking at it. You're going from a guy like, a, you know, a Brian Fair, then to a Ray Allen, then to a Richard Hamilton, to a Rudy Gay, to a Karan Butler, and just on and on. The stuff we were able to live, my man, growing up, a lot of people don't have. Yeah, that's why I tell fans never take it for granted. And, you know, even as a as a UConn guy, you know, I don't think it was till post Calhoun, the, the Kevin Ollie year. And even even that I was fortunate enough where I didn't live in Canada. You know, I live in California. I've lived here for about a decade now. And so I wasn't living it day to day. But but, you know there's not much going on in Connecticut and it, and it makes it that much worse when UConn's struggling. And so, you know, I always tell fans, don't take it for granted. You know, I'll give you just a, an example from the world we're living in now, by the way, Arizona is a perfect example. I think most Arizona fans understand what Sean Miller did and not trying to make this into a Sean Miller thing, whatever, but you know, he took Arizona to three elite eights. And Correct. what's funny is, is I think most Arizona fans realize how hard it is to get to a final four, but every time I would, mentioned Sean Miller. Oh, he's overrated. He never went to a final four. It's like, that's really, really, really hard. Don't take going to multiple elite eights, including a 2014 right. game that I was at in Anaheim. That was a one possession game for like the last 11 minutes of the game or whatever, yes. you know, don't take for granted how tough it is. You know, Kentucky fans, I think are going through that right now where there's a, a certain segment of the population that's frustrated with Calipari last year, you missed the tournament this year, you lose in round one. And then there's a much older population. That's like, you know what? It wasn't that long ago. We had some guy named Billy Gillespie. It wasn't that long ago right. that, you know, Tubby Smith went a decade without going to a final four and we had to let him go. So, you know, it, it is, it is that fine line. And, and I think you're right. Uh, Mike is just, um, by the way, I keep wanting to call you Matt Luke. That was the former Georgia, you know, uh, old miss, old miss football. Trust, coach. Me. Trust me. I've got a cousin named Matt Luke as well. And we text about this all the time. So yeah, go ahead. You're good. My man. No. Yeah. I just, well, I was just reading an article about Matt Luke. So I keep wanting to say Matt Luke, but Mike, so Mike, um, no, you know, and, and, and it's just that fine, it's that fine line and that balance of you love your team. You're frustrated when you don't feel like they're reaching their potential. Maybe like a Kentucky fan feels right now, you know, maybe like, uh, I don't know, uh, a Georgia fan, bas right. uh, football fan felt before this past mm -hmm. season, but you also, those of us that are old enough to have lived the other side, know that there's no guarantees in, in, in the sports that we cover and the sports that we love. So, you know, and it's something that it, it took me a while as a UConn fan to learn is that, uh, you know, this isn't a birthright. Nothing's guaranteed in, in any sport, uh, especially this crazy sport that we love so much. And uh, yeah. And, and I think Arizona fans probably went through a lot of that post Lute Olson the way UConn fans did post uh, post Jim Calhoun as well. Here's what I always tell people. No matter what you think of Sean Miller, Sean Miller made Arizona a two-coach school, which makes yeah. you far more attractive for other entities. I mean, you look at other programs. UNLV is Jerry Tarkanian. Georgetown, Georgetown. is John yeah. Thompson. Um, you could go up. Maryland, I know Lefty Drizel was there, but it's Gary Williams. You, It's different recruited because a lot of a hot up-and-coming coaches then saying, okay, is that more the coach or is that more the school? Well, at a place like in Arizona now, you can say, well, it's both. And that's to yeah. me, Sean Miller's biggest, no matter what you think, that's Sean Miller's biggest accomplishment, and that can't be underrated. So That's a great point. I had never really thought of that. And, you know, I think that's a lot of why I have patience with Dan Hurley because, mm -hmm. you know, so for people who probably don't care, this has turned into a UConn podcast. But, you know, a couple down years, Dan Hurley comes in really starts to build up the program back-to-back first-round tournament losses, and there is a small segment of maniacal UConn fans that's like, this isn't good enough. And it's like, 
take the time, take the patience. But what's important is that Dan Hurley is establishing exactly what Sean Miller did is that Jim Calhoun's great. He's a legend. He's forever. He's iconic to people of my age. You know, there, there will never be anything like the Calhoun era, no matter right. what any other coach accomplishes. But to your point, it is important that Dan Hurley gets UConn back to that national level the way that Sean Miller did, the way that hopefully Tommy Lloyd continues to, uh, because then, yeah, it, it makes it eternal. It makes it generations. It makes it, you know, where Carolina and Kansas are now. That's where Arizona is going to be in 20 years, UConn 20, 30 years as well. I think it's an important point I hadn't really thought about. Aaron, I can't thank you enough for hopping on, my man. It means the world to me. What do you got? Go. What do you got coming up here next? Oh, you know, this is kind of a slow time. Trying to just, you know, keep up with the portal stuff. Try to keep up with the NBA draft, you know, deadline stuff. I mean, obviously, if you listen to my my podcast, the Aaron Torres podcast, we're talking portal stuff like that every day, basically. Um, just trying to keep up with everything. You know, obviously, I think from an Arizona perspective, I I, I said it earlier. I think one of the more interesting draft decisions, that's a realistic stay or go. I mean, there's guys that, that are still testing the waters that will probably ultimately go, but Dale and Terry is one of them that I think could, could legitimately return and maybe his favorite to return at this point. He, I think he's an important one where Arizona looks a lot different with him next year than without him. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I just, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I'm going to be following the next few weeks. And then, you know how it is, man. You know, football is going to be here before we know it. So we got the preview magazines coming out here in the next few weeks and then time to ramp up a little bit towards football and then it'll be media days and then it'll be September and then we'll be running around with our hair cut off like we didn't even have a summer to begin with. So, right. All right, Aaron, I can't thank you enough, my man. Appreciate all your time, buddy. Anytime, Mike. Uh, let me know when you need me. Uh, sorry if I almost called you Matt Luke there once or twice, Dude. and we'll do it again soon. All right. You got him. Aaron, he's Aaron Torres. I'm Mike Luke. You've been listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast. Oh.